Amen. All right. It is a blessing to um, be here again uh, this evening. And we're looking at um, the topic of spiritual maturity. Uh, and just to give a, an update, if, if you haven't been um, with us over the past few days, Sunday morning we looked at uh, spiritual immaturity uh, and looked at some of the traits of uh, people who don't always act their age so that we can spot um, somebody who needs to grow up a little bit, somebody who's a little bit immature, and we looked at how that translates then to a spiritual aspect, that we can sometimes be spiritually immature when we don't listen to the Lord, when we run away from him, when we think we know more than he does, when we're not willing to admit when we're wrong and he's right. So we looked at some spiritual immaturity Sunday morning, and then we looked at how to develop certain aspects of our walk as we grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And we looked at uh, working on our boldness, boldness in speaking the gospel and telling people about the Lord, boldness in our supplication, praying to the Lord, boldness in our suffering when we can use things that go wrong in our lives as a testimony to the lost around us and boldness in sentencing, that uh, comfort we have to know that our sins have been judged upon Calvary and we need never fear uh, the Lord saying to us, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you, because if you know Christ as your saviour, then uh, they, those are words you'll never hear. So we looked at developing uh, that um, boldness on Sunday night. And then uh, last night, uh, we looked at um, dependability, uh, we, we looked at um, faithfulness um, to the Lord, you know, we, we looked at how uh, we ought to be faithful in certain aspects of our walk and we looked at how we can again work on that uh, faithfulness in different areas of our lives so that we can be a witness that we need to be and realize that we are always growing in um, the Lord and what I want to look at tonight again we're going to bounce around with a few verses from the New Testament and I want to look first of all at 1 Corinthians verse uh, chapter 16 and verse 13 And we're going to look at steadfastness, um, steadfastness. And there's a few times we are told to be steadfast. And in verse uh, 16 of the first letter to the church at Corinth, and in chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13. It says, watch ye. Stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time together tonight, for the opportunity to come around you a word, for the privilege we have to be able to gather in this way. And Lord, what a blessing it is on on this night just to be able to come into church, Lord, as the world goes about its business, Lord. We just are so thankful for the fact that we're able to set aside this time to come around you a word, to be with you a people, to not only fellowship with one another, but to fellowship with you, to sit uh, around the table, as it were, and feed upon the word of God tonight. We pray that you would speak to our hearts. We pray that you would help us. Uh, Each and every one of us has some aspect of our lives that we need to work on, has some aspect of our walk that needs improving. There's some aspect of our Christian life in in which we could do with developing that spiritual maturity. And we pray that you'd help us to realize tonight that we are never fully complete as a believer in Christ until we get to glory. But until that time, Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we develop our Christian walk, as we grow in our Christian walk, as we become more Christ-like, 
I pray that you might speak to our hearts tonight. You know the heart of each and every person here. You know the need of, of the church. You know the need of each individual. And I just pray that we would be willing to have our heart, hearts open enough to be able to say to you, Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. What is it that you would have us to change in our lives tonight? We just pray that whatever is said and done here this evening would bring you glory, honor, and praise. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So the word um, stand fast talks about a stability in our Christian lives. And there are certain times when we are to make a stand. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13, we are told to stand fast in the faith. And that word stand fast there has the idea of standing firm, to um, persist. It carries the idea of commitment and consistency. Um, in the Greek Old Testament, um, the word uh, that's used here for um, stand fast, steko, is used in Exodus chapter 14, 13, where Moses said to his people, stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord. Moses told his people not to fear, to stand still. And we are to stand fast in the faith. We are to be, uh, have a, a sure foundation. We are to um, stand firm knowing that our trust is in the Lord. You know, again, there is so much that we can learn from simple children's choruses. You know, the, the Lord talked about the wise man that built his house upon the sand and upon the rock. And we are built upon a solid foundation. Now, I'm not much of a builder. Uh, I don't mind dabbling in, in a little bit of DIY. Um, but we are, we are building a church extension um, on, well, on the side of the building, obviously. It's like... So we're building a church extension. Now, the, um, the ground that our church is built on um, is shocking. Um, we are built on a coal tip. All of the South Wales valleys are just full of coal. And, and where our church is built was where they put the old um, slag and all the old rubbish that came up out of the ground. So basically, our church is built upon an old coal tip. So by the side of our church where we are building the extension, uh, you couldn't just put in normal foundations. Um, our foundations, we had to build, we had to dig these holes. They were a metre by a metre by almost four metres, and they were filled with concrete, and there were 16 of those pods, and then, uh, you know, we had to put concrete blocks in across these pods, and that was our foundation, and then that was all filled with concrete. That's not going anywhere. Um, the guy who was project managing our, our work is, is one of the deacons in the church, and he said, this building is actually going to hold up the church that was built in like 1904. Why? Because of the foundations. The foundations are so deep, they are not going anywhere. We could have a, literally, we could have a nuclear apocalypse and those foundations are still going to be there because that's how deep they are. Now then, why am I saying all of that? What is our foundation built on? Our foundation is built on the solid rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Impressive as those foundations of our new extension are, they pale into insignificance compared to the foundation that is Christ. That is the rock. When, you know, when the Lord said to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, he wasn't talking about Peter, Cephas, a little stone. He was talking about Petra himself, the solid rock. 
That's how we can stand firm. That's how we can stand fast. That's how we can have that confidence. That's how we can persevere. That's how we can persist. Why? Because our faith is not in something that's wishy-washy. Our faith is not in something that is hopeless. Our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah could go into the fiery furnace and not concerned about what Nebuchadnezzar could do to them because their faith was on a solid foundation. And we are to stand fast in the faith. Let me ask you this question. How many of you tonight came across a bridge of some sort as you drove here to church? And just only two, two people drove across a bridge. Nobody else? Three? Okay. You can raise your hands. I won't accuse you of being Pentecostal. It's only I'm asking a question. So, let me ask you this question. The three of you that came across a bridge this evening, did you think, as you were driving across that bridge, ooh, I hope this bridge holds the weight of my car. Oh, I'm not happy crossing this bridge. You know, I don't know who built it. You know, who, who, who put this bridge together? Could we trust the men that actually, uh, you know, went into this? Can we trust the architects, the engineers, the civil engineers? Can we trust the people who actually put the, you know, the concrete on the steel beams? And we just drove across. Why? Because you had faith in the fact that you didn't even think about it to drive across the bridge. We put faith in things every single day. Anybody who drove here tonight in a car put faith in the fact that something inches away from your feet explodes because that's what a car engine does it literally causes a combustion an explosion right in front of you when you don't think "Ooh, can we trust that we stick the cruise control on and go up the a1 or whatever it is and we're like hey happy days no problem don't even think about it we put people put their faith in things every single day but none of those things are as solid a foundation as faith in the lord jesus christ That's something we can depend upon. That's something that we can trust. That's how Shadrach, or I hate using those names, sorry, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah could go into the fiery furnace because they had a faith and were built upon a solid foundation. They never turned around and thought, ooh, you know, can we really trust God? They said to Nebuchadnezzar, "We, we trust in the Lord. And if it's God's will for us to go into the fire, if he can, you know, if he's going to protect us, he will. And if he doesn't, that's his will. But guess what? We're not bowing to that image. We are trusting in God. Jude says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Paul's focus uh, is standing for the truth of the doctrine uh, of the gospel, including salvation, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. Jude then goes on to say that we should earnestly contend for that faith. We should stand for that faith. That's our solid foundation. This admonition is so relevant today because Christians are ignorant about the doctrines of the scripture. If you were to stop and ask a, a Christian what they truly believe, we would probably not really have a, a solid answer. You know, when I was first saved and you know, I knew nothing of the scripture and a Jehovah's Witness knocked on my door and, uh, you know, I was quite zealous. I, you know, I, I kind of knew a little bit about the Bible and there's a knock on the door and it's like, oh, right, okay. And this person started talking to me and 
by the end of the conversation, I was absolutely battered because he knew more about what I believed in than I knew about what I believed in. He was telling me stuff, and I was like, do I believe that? Oh, right, okay. But I wanted to know what I did believe in. You know, what are the truths of the Scripture? But, you know, we're told not to be tossed around with every wind of doctrine. If we work on developing the fact that we are able to stand firm, that we're able to stand fast on the faith, on the faith in our Lord and Saviour, on the faith of the truth of the Scriptures, then it doesn't matter what new doctrine comes about. We're not going to be blown about and tossed about and, you know, say, oh, there's a new, you know, there's a new revelation come out. Oh, there's a new uh, 40 days of this and there's a well, one, two, three, pray after me and you can have this and this health and wealth over here. We ought to know what we believe and why we believe it and then stand upon what we believe. How do we do that? How do we increase our faith? Well, Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We ought to be reading our Bibles all the time. Because we've got to get this word from here, not just to hear, but to hear. You know, how many of you, how many of you ever went to um, school or university or sat in a lecture of some kind? Again, three people. <laughs> it's just the same three people. They cross, cross bridges and go to school. <laughs> so, when I used to go to, when I, when I used to, go to school, um, I never really wanted to listen to the teacher because school was just like a bit of a hindrance between break time and the opportunity to go out into the yard and play and it was just something you had to get through before you could go home at the end of the day. And then when I went to university, the lectures got a little bit different. But if you don't really pay attention, the definition of a lecture can be this. The transfer of notes from the lecturer's handbook to the student's handbook without passing through the mind of either. That's the definition of a lecture. But is that the definition when it comes to reading the Bible, when it comes to listening to a sermon? Do we just sit in the church and listen to the pastor preaching so that it's a transfer of notes from his notebook to your notebook without passing through the mind or the heart of either? And it shouldn't be. Because every time we read the word of God, it ought to make a difference to us. It ought to change our hearts. It ought to challenge us. You know, we don't read the scripture because, oh, that was a nice historical account. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And sometimes it reproves us. Sometimes it rebukes us. And when we preach, we do it with long-suffering and doctrine so that we can help. But we never read scripture for the sake of it. We look and say, right, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? Is there a sin you're trying to convict me of? Is there a, a command I ought to obey? Is there a sin I ought to forsake? Is there something you want me to do? Is there something you don't want me to do? Is there something I should change? We ought to be steadfast in the faith to know what we believe in and why we believe in it. Because if our beliefs are wrong, our behavior will be wrong. Belief will always affect behavior. If we start teaching the fact that, yeah, you can sin and just, you know, do whatever you want and then confess it after, there's no problem. Well, that's how we'll behave. 
Oh, well, it's better to ask for forgiveness than it, than it is to ask for permission. But if we say, well, wait a minute, you know, Christ died upon the cross, that's the cost of sin. So every time we sin, what are we saying then about the sacrifice of the Lord? Are we just turning around then and having a blase attitude towards sin and saying, well, does Christ's sacrifice really matter if we can just sin and sin and sin and then say, oh, sorry, Lord. What we believe depends upon how we behave. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Stand fast in the faith. Stand fast in what you believe. That is your foundation. And that's what we're meant to build upon in terms of our spiritual maturity because of what we know to be true. When our beliefs are right, our behavior will be right. And it doesn't matter what the world throws at us. It doesn't matter what the world says about us. It doesn't matter, you know, what, uh, oh, well, I've heard this preacher on TV says this, and, you know, I've heard this expert say that, and I've heard, it won't matter, because our foundation will be so sure that nothing will blow us over. Nothing will catch us off guard. Nothing will come to the point to shake our faith, as it were, to say, ooh, Perhaps God's word is wrong. Perhaps God didn't mean that when he said that. Stand fast in the faith. Not only do we need to stand fast in the faith, Galatians 5.1 tells us to stand fast in liberty. Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You know, Paul was always trying to, to help the church because, you know, the, the church kind of had the gospel and then somebody would come in and say, yeah, well, I, you've got the gospel, but then, you know, you still need to, to keep this part of the law and you still need to keep that part of the law. And Paul was saying, look, you've been made free. You don't need to add anything to the gospel. You know, once you accept Christ as your Savior, it's not like salvation and then works. And, you know, it's not like, well, I, 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 I'm saved now and then I have to do this, this, this and this in order to please God. Paul said, you've been set free by the gospel. You've been set free. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. You know, the, the, the Galatians had been saved by the grace of God, but they were, having, they were being taught to return to the law in order to receive and maintain God's favor. Paul's challenge to us today is concerning our freedom in Christ. And that's something we need to work on in order to be able to grow spiritually, in order to help our spiritual maturity. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. We've been freed by the finished work of Christ upon Calvary. We've been freed by all that took place upon the cross. Everybody that's come to Christ has been freed, has been forgiven, has been saved, has been set free from sin and from the law. If the Son will therefore make you free, you shall be free indeed. That's liberating. To not be under the, the yoke of bondage of the law. To not be weighed down by the guilt of sin. And we have to stand fast in our liberty. You know, oftentimes the devil will come alongside us and we'll whisper in our ear and say, hmm, do you really have that freedom? Oh, God doesn't let you do that. And God doesn't let you do that. 
and you're not allowed to have any fun, and you're not allowed to have a laugh, and you're not. And the devil whispers all of this nonsense in our ear. Oh, are you really saved? Did you really mean that? Did you, you know, if you, if you were God, were so wonderful, why would this happen in your life? And why? And then we start doubting, and we kind of start losing that freedom that we had when Christ died on the cross and our sins were forgiven. He set us free. He liberated us. You know, I've never, ever, ever watched a, like a, a World War II um, uh, uh, prisoner of war kind of story where they finally escape from the prisoner of war camp and then say, oh, do you know what? The beds were comfy back in the camp. Should we go back in? I, I've never seen a film like that. They've always tried to escape and stay away from there for as long as possible. We've been set free. So why then, once we've been set free, would we want to go back to bondage? Like the children of Israel in the wilderness. They are set free from Egypt. God has brought them out of Egyptian bondage. He's brought them through the Red Sea. He's taken them into the wilderness. He's feeding them manna from heaven. And what do they say? Oh, back in Egypt they had garlic and onions. Oh, great. You're going to be a joy to kiss in the morning. Why, why is others that they're eating angels' food and they want the garlic and the onions back in Egypt? All the stinky stuff. They had angels for the Psalms, called it angel food. And they wanted the stuff back in Egypt. We've been set free. But we don't act like we've been set free sometimes. And that holds us back. Why? Because we listen to the lies of the devil. The devil can't get our heart because we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of God, the naos, the holy of holies. This is where God dwells. Satan can't get here, so Satan goes after here. And he then brings us back into the bondage that we suffered all those years before we were set free with salvation. And we need to work on the fact that we can Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He said, don't be entangled. That word entangled means a a trapping to to put the snares out, to, to catch animals. That's what the devil does. The devil wants to snare us. He wants to trap us. He wants to trip us up. What a contrast to the Lord Jesus Christ who came to set us free. Who came to set us at liberty. But sometimes we don't enjoy that freedom. Because we're too busy listening to the devil's lies. We're not in bondage anymore. We're not a slave to sin anymore because we've been set free from that nonsense. Too many Christians kind of look back towards Egypt again. You know, when things don't go right in our lives, maybe the Lord hasn't answered a prayer the way we thought it should be answered. And because of our spiritual immaturity, instead of standing fast in that liberty, instead of recognizing the fact that we've been freed from all of that nonsense, we start looking back to Egypt. Oh, well, my life wasn't this tough before I got saved. I wasn't going through these battles before I got saved. The problems I'm having now in my life, I wasn't having when I was out in the world. And we start looking back. If we develop the fact and work on the fact that we've been set free, 
then we're able to stand fast. We're able to be firm and not fall for the devil's lies. I'm thankful that I'm freed from all of that nonsense. I'm thankful that I don't need to fit into the mold of the world anymore. I'm thankful that I don't have to impress anybody in the world today. Because he set me free. We have to stand fast in liberty. If you have a look at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. We see that we are to stand fast in one spirit. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see what else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. If we're going to grow in spiritual maturity, then we have to stand fast in one spirit. Uh, the word conversation, they only let your conversation and that be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, we know is the old English word which means lifestyle. The way we walk. What Paul is saying is that as Christians, we are citizens of heaven. And therefore, whilst we are on earth, we ought to behave like citizens of heaven. One of our greatest weapons against the enemy is the fact that we have a joy that the world can't give us. We have a joy that can't be bought. A joy knowing that our sins are forgiven. A joy knowing that our past is behind us. A joy knowing that our home is heaven. We have a joy that the world doesn't offer. And that joy is our strength. There was a a famous actor was at a, 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 a was an after dinner speaker, and he was at a big fundraising uh, function, and he was well known because of his voice. I suppose he had a voice uh, like Richard Burton or something like that. And he stood up to speak, um, and he invited his audience to choose a poem for him to recite. And there was a long silence until a retired pastor raised his hand and asked for Psalm twenty three. The actor was slightly taken aback, but agreed to read the psalm, provided the old pastor recited it after him, which the old man reluctantly agreed to do. So the actor stood up and recited the psalm and received a standing ovation. Then the pastor recited Psalm 23, and there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Upon seeing this reaction from the crowd, the actor went over to the retired pastor and said to the guests, do you know the difference between his version and my version? The actor said, I know the psalm. He knows the shepherd. That's the difference. That's the difference. We have a joy that the world can't provide. Why? Because of that relationship we have with the shepherd. When Paul says to, to stand fast, he's given us the impression of that Roman soldier. Remember now in Philippians, Paul is in prison, so he's given us that impression of a Roman soldier who stands his ground. Have you ever been to, any of you ever been to like Windsor Castle or Buckingham Palace, or have you ever seen those poor people with the, the, the uniform and their regalia standing outside that? I don't know what that's called. 
the box thing. Sentry box, okay. And they're just standing there. And people are going up to them and they're poking faces and they're taking selfies. And do you know if that was me, I, especially with a bayonet on the end of that gun, you know, and they're like, ah, and they turn around then. I, I, oh, I, just as the camera's about to go, I, oh, I, but they, they don't move. And you think, how much training does that take? To not react. When Paul is talking about standing fast, he sees the Roman soldier that stands guard, stands his ground, and does not move. And if we are to grow in spiritual maturity, we, we've got to understand how to develop that, to be able to stand fast in one spirit. What is Paul talking about there? He's talking about the unity. You know, wouldn't it be great if the church was united? How pleasant or how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. No one finds joy when we're in a state of constant friction. Whether it's in the home or whether it's in the workplace or, you know, I've been in situations in work where you you just didn't want to go in because you knew as soon as you went in, there was conflict. It's the same at home, you know, if you're in that state of constant conflict, it's not a good place to be. You know, my dad, the the bit of advice he gave me when me and my wife got married, he said, son, he said, never go to bed angry. Stay up and fight. (laughs) He didn't really say that. But nobody's happy when there's conflict, because that's not what God saved us to be. Ephesians 5.2 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Christ loved this church enough to die upon the cross. Do you think he wants the church to be in constant argument? To be in constant conflict? That's not being steadfast in one spirit. It's one thing to fight with the enemy. It's quite another thing to fight with one another. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. What do you think Satan thinks when he looks at the church fighting with one another and bickering with one another? Satan's like, my job is done and I haven't even had to lift a finger. That's not what the church has been saved to do. We've been saved to bring God glory. We've been saved to reach a lost world out there. We've not been saved to backbite and fight and bicker with one another. And I understand that the person sat next to you is not as perfect as you. But they're thinking exactly the same thing right now. We're not. We're not perfect. If you want to come to me after, I can give you a whole list of things that this man has done wrong here and the way in which he's not as perfect as he makes out that he is behind this pulpit. I could write a book. (laughs) In fact, I've already got two volumes in my mind. I've got the sequel already written out. But each and every one of us have got faults and failures. That's what we are. We're human. None of us are perfect. But here's the thing. If we concentrate on fixing this instead of trying to fix you and you and you and you and you and you, if we concentrate on fixing this, that'll take care of itself. 
That's what the Lord said. Don't worry about the little speck that's in your brother's eye. You worry about the massive plank that's in your own eye. I'm paraphrasing, so I'm not King James. But that's what he was saying. Don't worry about the tiny speck in your brother's eye. You worry about the huge beam that's in your own eye. Let's fix this first. And then, once we fix this, we can do our bit in growing in spiritual maturity so that we're standing fast in one spirit so the church can function as the church is meant to function, bringing glory to God and reaching a lost world for the cause of Christ. Too many churches are fighting and bickering and Satan wants to divide. That's his tactic. Divide and conquer. You know, let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever had a crack in a wall in, at home or in the garden? Or ever had a crack? In, and have you ever thought, ah, it'd be all right, it's only a little crack? And then after a while, the crack gets a little bit bigger. And then all of a sudden, the wall like splits in two and, and then collapses. And then the house falls down. You're like, oh, we should have done something about that earlier. What started off as a little crack can lead to big damage. Satan only needs a little crack within the church. And he's already done his part. Divide and conquer. Steadfast. Be steadfast in one spirit. Let's not allow the church to be divided. Because Satan wants to divide the church. Satan wants to divide households. He wants to pit children against parents. He wants the household split and not in unity. He wants the the home split. He wants uh, divided faithful friends. He wants to divide you against Christ. He wants to divide your thoughts against yourself. And we need to be in agreement. Amos says, can two walk together except they be agreed? The church could do so much more if we were all on the same page. For the cause of Christ. You know in sport. Not everybody can be in the same position. Now I know like um, your pastor loves American football. And the quarterback is the star player of American football. But the quarterback would be nothing if he didn't have that line in front of him. The quarterback would be nothing if he didn't have a team around him to protect the ball, if he didn't have the runners running off him in order to be able to pass to. The same as rugby, the outside half is like the glory boy of, of rugby. Well, if he didn't have the forwards doing the, the donkey work, and if he didn't have you know, the, the people passing the ball and being in the position they need to be, he'd be flattened every time. You know, but the outside half is always the one that's like, yeah, look at me, fancy footwork. And then it's the poor forwards that are doing all the hard work. But if they weren't doing their job, he couldn't perform in his role. Can two walk together except they be agreed? We all have different positions within the church. Not all of us can be the quarterback. Not all of us can be the outside half. Not all of us can be the pastor, even though sometimes we might sit in the pew and think, oh, I could do a better job than that. Come on, get on with it. It's easy to go home on a Sunday and just destroy the pastor's sermon. Oh, I can't believe he said that. 
Oh, I can't believe he went on for that long. Oh, I can't believe he used that illustration again. Oh, I can't believe he used the same joke as he's used 25 times before. I've only got three jokes. I just kind of alter the way in which I tell them so it sounds different. But we can't all be the pastor. We can't all be, you know, the, uh, the elders, the deacons. The, the, we all have a point, a purpose, and a place to fit within the church so that the church functions together. Any of you like dancing? I know I probably shouldn't ask this in a Baptist church. I don't know. Do any of you watch Strictly Come Dancing? I don't, but I've heard about it. Does anybody watch it? Nobody's willing to admit it now in case they have a row for watching something so carnal. Has anybody ever watched any kind of dancing? Okay. I'm going to raise my hand, but I'm not going to say yes in case the pastor recognises my voice. In dancing, you know, they... They just move seamlessly. They're doing different steps. You know, the, the, the woman doesn't do the same kind of dancing as the man. And, you know, the woman doesn't necessarily do um, the, the lifting. The, the man has a different job to do to the woman. But they move together seamlessly. We all have different parts to play within the church. But like years on a wheel, we all work and fit together perfectly and maybe you were here tonight and you think well I I don't fit I don't fit in I don't have a purpose but the problem's not with God the problem's with us so we need to work on us to put that right to know where God wants us to fit so that the church can operate as the church is meant to operate Stand fast in one spirit. How many of you are well, I don't know what it's like in Northern Ireland. In, in Wales, if it snows, um, we only need about like 14 snowflakes to fall and our, our country just shuts down completely. It's like, that's why we will never, ever win the Winter Olympics. Ever. Because, you know, you see them, you know... Whether it's Germany or Switzerland or you, know, you see all these people, they're up on the, on, the, on, the, on the ski slope and they're like, right, three, two, one, go. And in their mind, they're like, oh, I'm just going down the shop for some milk. And off they go down the ski slopes and they're like, woof, gone. The British people get up then. They go, three, two, one, go. And they're like, oh, oh I put some salt down. <laughs> one snowflake on its own is going to do Nothing. You can catch it and a snowflake will land in the palm of your hand and it'll just melt. But you start adding snowflakes together. One and then two and then three, four, five, six, seven. Suddenly, all of those snowflakes get together and then you bring a nation to its knees because you can't get the car out of the drive because you can't get uh, get to the shops to get milk and bread and why do we buy bread and milk when it snows? I've never had a bread and I've never had a milk sandwich in my life. But all of those snowflakes together, one snowflake does nothing. Millions of them together does incredible things. You see what I'm trying to say? If the church functions as it's meant to function, if we grow together in spiritual maturity and stand fast in one spirit, we suddenly, all of these snowflakes gathered together. We could do incredible things 
for the cause of Christ. Stand fast in one spirit. And then finally, stand fast. We go to um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15. We are to stand fast in the truth. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the tradition which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. That word tradition there is a a word uh, which talks about authority, talks about instruction, the truth, the truth of Paul's word, of Paul's message. You know, we are in constant danger as believers in being swept downstream by the currents of ungodly culture. But when we're able to stand fast in the truth of God's word, doesn't matter what's thrown our way. Because we're supported by the truth of the scripture. And we're to hold on to the truth of the word of God. You know, the next time the devil comes alongside and whispers in your ear, God doesn't care about you. Then you go to the truth of the scripture and say, well, actually, God loved me so much that he sent Christ to die upon the cross for me. And I think he loves me very much. God doesn't care about you. Where is he now? Well, according to the truth of the scripture, God promised to never leave me and to never forsake me. Ah, God doesn't care about you. He would never have allowed this to happen. Well, the scripture says that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. We have to stand fast in the truth. We have the truth in our hands. We are able to apply the truth to our hearts and to our minds. And that gives us that foundation we talked of earlier. And we're able to stand. We're able to uh, be able to, to not be shaken to and fro. We're able to have that sure foundation. But we've got to get this word into our hearts so that we can stand. And you know what Paul said in Ephesians? Stand. And when you've stood, stand some more. And when you've done all you can to stand, just stand fast. Put on the whole armour of God. God has even given us what we need in order to be able to stand. My pastor used to say, if people uh, don't stand for something, they'll fall for anything. And in order for us to grow in spiritual maturity, we've got to work on this steadfastness in our lives. Because too often... The church is blown about by every wind of doctrine. So let's stand. Let's learn how to stand. Let's trust the Lord to be able to stand fast. Why? Because we are on that solid foundation. And if we are going to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we're going to have to stand. God's word is far too important for us not to obey it, 
for us not to apply it to our hearts and to our lives. If we're going to grow today, then we're going to have to take a stand in certain areas. We're to stand fast in the faith. We're to stand fast in liberty. We've been set free. We're not under bondage anymore. We're to stand in one spirit, in the unity within the body of Christ. We are to stand in the truth. We are on the foundation of Christ. We are to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. God has incredible things for us as a church. And I'm not just talking about points past, I'm talking about his church. Whether it's in Bethany over in Wales or whether it's here in Northern Ireland, God has an incredible purpose for us. He's not finished with us yet, and I know that because he hasn't called us home to glory yet. There are many souls to be won for him. And he's going to use you to do that. And as we grow in spiritual maturity, and as our lives change, and as Christ is seen more and more through our lives, we'll start affecting more and more and more and more and more people. Don't worry about the growth of the person next to you. Concentrate on your spiritual maturity, on your growth. And when you are right, then the things around you will start to become right. And if you are right and the things around you don't start to become right, all you have to worry about is pleasing him and not pleasing anybody else. Stand fast. Because we have something worth standing for. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this day, for this time together, and for this opportunity to come around your word. Father, we just pray once again that you would help us as we grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, as we grow in our walk with you. Help us, Lord, to be bold and help us to develop that boldness when it comes to witnessing. Help us to develop that faithfulness, Lord. Help us to develop that steadfastness. Help us, Lord. If there's an area of our lives that uh, needs fixing, then would you highlight that to us tonight? Would you show us what we need to change, what we need to alter, what we need to work on? Lord, help us to live a life that is pleasing to you, that brings you glory and honour and praise. And Father, we just ask that you would enable us to be the believer that we have to be in this day and age. The devil has far too much credit for, for what goes on. Help us, Lord, to live a life that only ever shows the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who is, has the preeminence in our lives. Don't allow the devil to get a foothold in, in this church or anywhere, Lord, to, in our homes. Don't allow the devil to cause a crack in the foundation of this church or the foundation of our, our homes and our relationships. Help us to grow, Lord, so that we can be steadfast. Steadfast in the truth, steadfast in liberty, steadfast in one spirit. Help us to stand, Lord. And when we've done all to stand, we'll just simply stand some more. We love you and praise you and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.